He kneeled. And as he was kneeling, he looked to his right and there was a police officer there. And he looked to his left and his two sons were sitting there. And he realized that he was a bridge between these two worlds. Hey everyone, welcome to episode five of What in the World. My name is Jake Lee and I'm going to be your host for this podcast. I am really enjoying myself going through these interviews, getting to talk to people and talk what God has done, what he is doing and what he's going to do both locally and globally, trying to look at that through the lens of Elmbrook Church, which has had this history of engaging people outside of its doors. I want to continue to help people broaden their perspectives, mine included. Every interview I do or interview I get to listen to is helping me better understand and wrap my mind around what God's doing. And so today we are going to dive into part two of a conversation that my friend Pastor Mike had with Pastor Jay English. This is a conversation that we really need to be having in the church and trying to figure out how do we approach justice issues and not just ones that are happening on the other side of the globe, but ones that are happening in our own neighborhoods. And what is the church's response to this? And I think conversations like this are a really healthy place to start. And in this conversation too, we really are going to land more on what can we do and hear from Jay, how can we, um, Elmbrook, for example, respond in a time like this that is going to be helpful? I've learned a lot from listening to this. I hope you will as well. Yeah, let's listen to the interview. When we're saying, what can you do? It's as you're learning, Mm -hmm. the experience you're on right now, Mm -hmm. and what we're doing right here, sharing that with others in your sphere of influence. Because I can tell the story but you can express what that story did to you. Mm. The questions it made you ask that I may never think to ask, um, the feelings it brought up that I may never know you deal with, Mm -hmm. and others who are in your circle that maybe have zero people of color speaking into their lives or being a mentor or just being a friend. You can express, here's what I've learned, here's what I experienced, this video that I watched, here's what it did to me or for me, let me share that with you so that, how does this affect you? That's what you can do. Have those conversations in the places and the spaces that I may never get to go and may never get to have because I don't have those relationships. Great. And you can mentor me as I have those conversations with others so I can do that. Absolutely. Appropriately. And that's the role that I feel like, you know, we as as Hispanics, African-Americans, whatever minority, we have to be open to that as well. It is when the questions come and some people, you know, myself included, you can get frustrated with getting a number of questions, but I have an obligation if I want to see change mm-hmm. to answer those questions, because if I'm saying change is needed and you're saying I want to help you with change, help me understand mm-hmm. what's needed. Yep. I can't be like, well, I don't want to talk to you about it. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm mad. I don't want to talk which, to you. Yeah. you know, which would be understandable. <laughs> but it doesn't solve anything. So these conversations that we're having right now, to me, this is how we start that. I have those mm-hmm. conversations with someone who's open, yeah. willing to listen, can, can listen with compassion. Mm-hmm. And then you take that to where I may never go mm-hmm. with the people that I don't have relationship with because mm-hmm. they'll listen to you and how it broke your heart will help break theirs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've already had some of those conversations with, with people in the suburb where I live. Yeah. You know, it was, it was like, they're trying to figure out why are they responding like that? I'm like, listen, if you've lived 40 years like that, you would be angry too. And you would, they would, I've heard people say, don't they know that destruction of buildings doesn't, doesn't help? And I'm like, they don't know what else to do. Well, let me, let me speak <laughs> they, to that for a minute. Cause I think that's a, that's yeah. a great 
that's part of the divide. So mm-hmm. I'm running into people right now who are saying, mm-hmm. we don't want to talk about equality until people stop destroying property. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those where if, if the cause is just, let's just be honest about the cause. Mm-hmm. Now, you may not like some of the methods. Now, mm-hmm. I do not condone destruction of property. I do not right. condone looting of any sort. Yeah. But here's the reality of the looters, not all, but many of the looters that we're seeing on TV right now. Number one, there's an inter- there's a very personal piece of protesting. Mm-hmm. And that is at the intersection of what knowledge do I have, which may cause me to take a certain stance. Uh-huh. It's going to be, what is my level of morality? Where did I grow up in? Yeah. What did my parents teach me? Mm-hmm. Who were the mentors I had? What, what things were drilled into me that I believe are right and wrong mm-hmm. at any given time? Yeah. What are my convictions? So I can be angry, and from a conviction standpoint, I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit checks me on a lot of things. Yep. Yep. Be angry, but sin not. I can be angry, I can march, have marched, I can do protests, I can be there and stand face to face with a police officer and say, no justice, no peace, mm-hmm. but I'm not gonna pick up a brick and throw it through a window mm-hmm. because there is a conviction that I have there's a morality that I have. There's my mother in the back of my mind saying, don't you do that, boy. <laughs> um, there's certain things I'm not going to do. But there's other people that didn't grow up the way I grew up. They didn't have the mother I had. Um, their way of dealing with anger is not healthy. And we know people everywhere that don't deal with anger in great ways. Yeah. Yeah. We have some people that every can culture. bottle their anger up of every culture and they can deal with it, they can breathe, they count to 10, they walk away. You have other people that have to go back and apologize for something that they said in a moment. Mm -hmm. You have people that, because of how they grew up, they were abused. Mm -hmm. They've been taken advantage of by a lot of people, by a lot of systems. They've been mistreated. And this is an opportunity to finally take from someone else. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever met people who all of their life they've been taken from, some of the worst bullies on the earth. When you really dig into their story, you find out the hell they've been through. Yeah. And what they're doing is taking out what's been done to them. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of that. And then if we're really being honest, there are people who are coming into my community that do not look like me, mm-hmm. that are breaking these windows, that are spray painting Black Lives Matter on things, mm-hmm. that are starting fires, that are dropping off pallets of bricks. Wow that are dropping off pallets of bricks and we're catching them on video. And if you go online right now, you'll find them. These are professional agitators. There are literally white supremacists coming into areas and they're they're doing this on purpose to bring a level of notoriety that we don't want and are not asking for. Um, I came across a video maybe two days ago that a friend of mine posted and there was a gentleman in the crowd, a Caucasian gentleman, and he was paying off some of the teenagers, some of the African-Americans, handing them money, telling them, go over there and break that stuff. Mm. Go grab that and steal it. And run into that building and take these shoes. Mm. These are things that are happening. So everything that you see, and we hear people say all the time, don't believe everything the news tells you, Mm. but we pick and choose. Oh, well, the news is showing us African-Americans looting and rioting. Don't believe everything you see and attribute it to the African-American cause that's saying we want equality and justice. There's a lot of different agendas going on and there's a lot of people who are protesting that are definitely are looting and doing a lot of destruction and they're doing it for a lot of reasons. 
So I don't begrudge them. I don't shame them. I tell them, hey, that's not what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Here's how I'm going to fight that battle. Mm-hmm. Um, as a follower of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, I have some convictions <laughs> that won't let me do that. Mm-hmm. But people who don't have those same convictions, especially for us as Christians, I can't go to you and tell you the Bible says, hey, be angry and sin not. And you're looking at me and saying, what's sin? Yeah. I'm not sinning. Mm-hmm. I'm fighting for my rights. I'm fighting for my freedom. I just saw 50 white people with guns on run into the Capitol. The Capitol. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The police didn't pepper spray them. Mm-hmm. I didn't see tear gas. I didn't see batons. I didn't see riot shields. Mm-hmm. I heard no rubber bullets. Mm-hmm. But we have people with no guns. Mm-hmm. They're being fired upon. They're being fired upon sitting in the street peacefully. So we are noticing a very distinct difference mm-hmm. in the protest for COVID-19 yeah. where people are not killing people, but a virus is out here that we're trying to stay safe from best we can. Mm-hmm. And my Caucasian brothers and sisters feeling oppressed because of the laws that are being passed and the, the edicts that are being put out putting on guns and saying we will go to war for our freedoms. And here I am. Hey, man, my freedoms are being oppressed, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But my people are being shot and killed in the street, reaching for wallets, Mm -hmm. laying on the side of a car with three police officers kneeled on top of him with no gun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why is there such a distinct difference? You hosted an event yesterday that was that went viral. Yes. Right. It yes. Went, went nationwide and it started right here with you. Yes. Uh, Neil for nine. Yes. And people all over uh, Wisconsin and even places outside of Wisconsin gathered and we, we actually knelt for nine minutes, which is exactly the amount of time or near the amount of time that George Floyd had uh, the officer's knee on his neck. Yes. Yes. And um, what's, what's been the response to that? Um, it has been amazing. We've continued to put the message out that this has to be a start. It can't just be, again, it can't just be a, a singular action. Mm-hmm. When we came up with the idea, I was sitting at home, my wife actually was the, 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 the main idea person for this. Uh, so I have to give her credit or she will talk about me till Jesus gets <laughs> back. Um, she was like, you know, maybe we can do something with kneeling somehow. And, you know, she's very good at coming up with, with a, a general idea. I'm good at kind of running with it. Hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call these people up. Uh, so the idea was we want to kneel for nine minutes. We knew we wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. We got together with a young lady here who is an incredible activist here in Milwaukee. Her name is Marquesa Tucker. Uh, she's one of the directors at the Afri- African-American Roundtable. Um, and then there was also Reggie Moore, who is the director of the Office of Violence Prevention. Had a great conversation with them. and They helped pull some things together because I've never done anything like this. I just have an idea. Mm-hmm. I feel like specifically as a Christian Many times we're absent from the protest, almost as if we feel like as a Christian, I can't protest. Yep. Um, no, as a Christian, you probably don't want to set the city on fire. Mm-hmm. But, it, but there are things that are right and wrong mm-hmm. that we should be standing for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe the community needs to see us standing up for. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sweetie, we have to do something. We, we have to. Um, and we have to do it now. We can't. I don't want to plan for three weeks. I don't want to say a month from now, like anything that happened a month from now. And in three days, we pulled the plan together. And honestly, we were like, well, let's just shoot this out. It, was, it started as a text message. Wow. We made a couple of flyers online. We created a text message and I started shooting it out to friends and family, pastors that I um, have relationships with, mm-hmm. just in other states, in other cities, other areas. 
hey, here's what we're looking to do. Can you help us get some people to kneel together at 530 where we'll all be together? Mm-hmm. We'll go live. It'll be all at the same time. Let's bombard social media with images mm-hmm. of us kneeling for this nine minutes, showing solidarity. Here's our three causes we're going to kneel for. We want to show support to the Floyd family. Uh, maybe they'll see this mm-hmm. just to know we care. We love you. Uh, we do not agree with what happened. Mm-hmm. We don't care what the color is, what the denomination is, what your orientation is, where you live, what state. Um, these are people across the nation that 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 kneel with you. I was able to gather on 47th and Center with Greg Marshall and yeah. his group there. And I'd say we probably had about 75, 80 people there. Wow. And, um, and it's just, it was, it was a profound experience. Mm-hmm. And as they led us, they said, as you're kneeling, you know, spend the time in prayer, mm-hmm. you know, do some soul searching. If you need to repent of something, repent. Yes. And, um, yeah, and it was it was a profound experience. So thanks for for organizing. Absolutely, that. it yeah. was it it warmed my heart. We knew we had a certain number of locations, and it was a real a very good number. We were well over fifty locations that we were aware of. When I got home last night and opened Facebook to see all of the locations that had been posting and the people that had been sharing and the tears that were being shed, and then the police officers who joined a lot of these protests that just showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't some areas. It was absolutely coordinated. It was worked out. But there was other areas where it was just the police found out about it, got wind of it and said, we want to kneel with you. Well, wow. um, I've got a, a friend of mine who is an African-American pastor and his post literally brought tears to my eyes. He said he kneeled. And as he was kneeling, he looked to his right and there was a police officer there. And he looked to his left and his two sons were sitting there. Mm. And he realized that he was a bridge between these two worlds and that the lesson he was showing his sons, Mm -hmm. as well as the officer, he said that in that moment, God wrecked him. Mm -hmm. Um, He said, man, look, I ended up crying all over the place. I'm hugging the police Mm -hmm. officer, you know, this total stranger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That in this moment, we can stand here together collectively, Mm -hmm. agree that right is right, wrong is wrong, but that we still need each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that carries weight. Can you speak to those uh, three initiatives that you talked about? Yes, Uh, yes. So the three initiatives that we decided um, were something everybody can agree to, regardless of where you come from or what your background is. Number one, we want accountability for our police officers. Okay. There are amazing police officers everywhere. So here's what we want. Mm -hmm. We need the good officers to serve and protect everybody even if that means serving and protecting us from others in your fraternal order. Okay. To be able to stand up in that moment, which was there, there were other police officers literally around George Floyd. If mm-hmm. any one of them mm-hmm. had have pushed him off yeah. or picked him up yeah. or said, we Percent. can't do this. Yeah. Enough's enough. Enough's enough. Yeah. Um, to be willing to do that. If you know corruption is there, if you know things are going on, uh, don't sign off on reports when you know the story is not true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then for the police officers that are abusing their authority, for there to be swift justice for them, mm-hmm. there's no place else I know. The higher you are in authority or in responsibility, the more accountable you are. Mm-hmm. You carry more weight. Mm-hmm. 
there should be more punishment. I mean, even from a biblical standpoint for us as Christians, the Bible tells us that we as teachers are going to answer to a much higher level of accountability yep. when God stands us in front of him mm-hmm. for what we teach and how we behave ourselves. Mm-hmm. The same standard should be applied to our police officers. Absolutely. You know, they have an incredibly hard job that I wouldn't want to have. Mm-hmm. But you have the authority to detain you have the ability to make a decision in a moment to take a life. Mm -hmm. That can't be taken lightly. Mm -hmm. And if the wrong decision is made, there should be swift consequences for that. And that's really where the issues start coming in is that police officers who have been proven to have done things wrong, proven with video, proven with evidence, Mm -hmm. proven with false reports, they go free. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're free for five days, Two weeks. In the case of Armand uh, Ahmad Arbery, the perpetrators for two months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These are things that are going on, um, and police officers are involved with this. And I'm looking at it and saying these are some things we can agree to: higher level accountability. When in the world? This part of the podcast we focus on looking back at our history as Elmbrook Church. And in this specific one, we're going to broaden that a little and look back over the history of the church's involvement in the city of Milwaukee, which for those of you that don't know, Milwaukee to this day is still the most segregated city in America with very strong racial lines dividing the city on literally streets. And a lot of that is attributed to the housing laws that were in place in Milwaukee. And we're going to go back now to 1962, where Alderwoman Vel Phillips began to fight for open housing when she introduced the Phillips Housing Ordinance Bill that outlawed housing discrimination. She brought this to the Milwaukee Common Council, and Milwaukee had already had a fair housing law, but it was very weak and did not cover all housing within the city. The council, however, defeated the bill 18 to 1, with Phillips' vote being the only one in favor. After three more failed attempts, the Milwaukee Youth Council offered their help to Phillips. In the spring of 1967, the Youth Council began picketing the homes of the aldermen who had voted against the housing bill. And then in that summer, the Youth Council planned a major event that would dramatize the open housing issue in Milwaukee. In August, the group announced a march across the 16th Street Viaduct from Milwaukee's north side to a park on the south side. The crossing of the viaduct symbolized a division between the predominantly African-American north side of the city and the exclusively white south side. This 16th state bridge was considered the Mason-Dixon line of Milwaukee. It was a joke, but at the time it claimed it was the longest bridge in the world because it separated Africa from Poland. And on Monday, August 28th, close to 200 youth council members and supporters marched to the south side. Upon reaching the south side of the bridge, the marchers were greeted with hostile crowds of thousands. The crowd screamed and jeered at the marchers while hurling eggs, bricks, rocks, and bottles. The following night, the youth council marched again to the south side. This time they were confronted by even more hecklers. These hecklers held up signs and posters with racist and derogatory messages on them, while others continuously pelted the marchers with objects. Despite the hostility they encountered, the Youth Council would not be deterred from its mission. Youth Council members and their supporters ended up marching for 200 consecutive nights between August 1967 and March 1968 to get an open housing law enacted. 
Shortly after the assassination of civil rights activist Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the federal government passed an open housing law. A few days thereafter, on April 30th, 1968, the Milwaukee Common Council finally passed a citywide open housing ordinance stronger than the federal law. What was the church's response in this time though? What was the church doing? What were Christians doing? When we look back, the Catholic Church responded first with Archbishop Cousins going on the radio and talking about these things. And then you had Father Garapi, who was one of the main players in these marches. There were also a lot of other Catholic leaders who were also involved in this. And actually, Archbishop Cousins received a lot of pressure to pull them from the marches. He had a lot of people who were very frustrated, who didn't want the national attention, who wanted the Catholic Church to not be involved in this. But because of his belief in the gospel and in what the church's role biblically was in justice, he continued and allowed Garapi and the others to continue and did not try to stop them. But then we look at the Protestant church. What were they doing in this time? In all actuality, they were silent. Maybe there were a few individuals who spoke up, but when we look back in history, we do not see any unity, any outrage and he's speaking out against what was happening uh, when you look back they were more concerned with making sure that law and order were kept and that things were not going crazy rather than speaking out for those who are being unfairly treated just looking at this it makes me think of where we're at today and that we as the church have an opportunity to respond and how are we going to be remembered when people are looking back on what we did in 2020 this is ben when in the world. So that's the first initiative. What's the second initiative? Second initiative is doing this. Bringing our white brothers and sisters into the conversation and purposely looking for ways that we can get these type of messages out. Mm -hmm. We need each other. Mm -hmm. That's the second initiative. We cannot do this by ourselves. Um, the dominant culture of America is the white culture. Mm -hmm. So that voice has to play a role in any change that happens. It just has to. Yep. And then our third initiative is the reality that African-American history needs to be taught at a much more in-depth way. And I feel like that plays a role in a lot of the biases that we endure right now because people are growing up in such segregated areas. Mm -hmm. All we have and know about each other is what we see on television. Yeah. Growing up, what I was taught in the history books, I didn't see people that looked like me. I didn't learn a whole lot. We had Black History Month. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, we're going to talk about Martin Luther King. Well, everyone's taught about Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. um, but we're not taught about all of the things that African culture, African nations, uh, African empires mm -hmm. that existed for thousands of years before slavery. Mm -hmm. The things that were done and accomplished by people that look like me. We're not taught mm -hmm. that. You're not taught mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So we grow up in these environments being taught this history that is very much geared towards the white cultural lens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it does not lend itself towards people viewing me in a light other than less than. Mm -hmm. You don't learn the things that my people have done, have accomplished. You don't see images. So what we're shown many times is the images of entertainers, the images of athletes. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And that's who we aspire to be. And that's who white people believe we can be successful as. Mm -hmm. um, so if I'm a tall African-American, the first thing people say is, you must be a basketball player. Mm -hmm. But why can't he be a physicist? Why can't he be a really tall astronaut? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So we're geared towards looking at things a very certain way. And I believe history plays a role. I believe we as the church have played a role in that. We know from a historical context that much of the Old Testament, especially before the Tower of Babel, mm-hmm. was happening deep in the heart of Africa. Yeah. Egypt. Egypt yeah. is an African country. And we I don't know why that's separated out. But when I grew up and started really looking into history for myself and realizing the Bible I was given as a child that had all those wonderful pictures where nobody looked like me. Mm-hmm. And I grew up really, if I'm being honest, I didn't think God could use me to that level of an Abraham, of a Noah, of a David. Job didn't represent me. See, and, and, and someone like myself, we don't even realize that. Yes. Yeah. So don't. I asked a question even in that moment. For those that made those decisions, they had to have realized it because they made those images with an intent and with a purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You realize the culture and the history says it was in this area. You know the type of people that live in that area. You know their shade. And you elected, you made a conscious decision to paint them with a brush sure. that looked like you. Yeah. But I, I think for mm-hmm. us as the church, we can play a role in helping with the education. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that changes in the public education system. Mm-hmm. But from a private education standpoint, I feel like we have some control over that. And if we know this is a truth now. I feel like we as a church have an obligation to teach truth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, like one of the things that I'm involved in here in Milwaukee is the Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. It's a class on um, world missions, basically. Yes. And I just found out this last summer that uh, America's first cross-cultural missionary was an African-American. And I never knew that. I was never taught that. Yes. But those kind of things are the things that don't get accentuated, don't That's get right. taught. They don't get talked about. And maybe if that was pushed more, we'd have more African-American missionaries. Exactly. Yeah. I guarantee you. Right. Right. So, Jay, thank you so much for taking the time to sit with me today and talk about these things. Um, These are difficult things. Um, Our country is in a time of turmoil and crisis, but it's stuff like this that I think... um, will help us take a step in the right direction. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Uh, Thank you all for listening. And, you know, I'm looking forward to being able to have more fun conversations or not. You know, we can just hang out sometimes, you know, and I think that plays a large role in in all of this becoming a much better place for everybody to live. Yeah. So can I can I call you my friends? Can I say I have friend Jay English? Yes. All right. Absolutely. Come on. Elbow bump. After listening to this podcast, I feel even more convicted to continue to have an attitude of humility and continuing to listen to understand because conversations like this are so important. I really appreciate both the willingness of Jay and Mike to enter into this conversation and to just talk candidly. And I think we need to see more of that in the church. We need to be willing to engage in hard conversations. And I'm fully aware that for many people, this podcast may have been triggering. It may have brought up strong emotions or you may have very strongly disagreed with something. And that's okay. We as the church are called to love each other, even if we disagree. That's how we're supposed to point people to Jesus and to God is because we have this love that goes beyond us having disagreements. And also the fact that we are called to be at peace with all men as long as it's up to us. Like as long as it's in our control, we need to be at peace. And so that's the attitude we need to continue approaching this with. And for me, I've been having them on a daily basis with a huge variety of people and many people who don't agree with me on this. And I think we need to continue doing that and doing that in respectful ways. 
And I wanted to end this podcast, though, with just kind of landing on the three takeaway points that Jay had. One, this idea of higher accountability, and that's something that we need to advocate for. The second is bringing white brothers and sisters, me included, into the conversation. We need to be having both sides talking. And then finally, this idea of education, African-American history. And maybe this is something that you're not sure how to engage in like policy reform or with the protests, how, how, how do, would you do something like that? But if you have kids, that's a very simple way to get involved. Just teach them about all of the amazing history that African-Americans have, that the nations that they've come from, all the accomplishments they've had, the fact that the Bible is not a bunch of whiteies, that these are people that look like them. That is such a honoring thing, and we don't want to just talk about the fact that they were slaves, they were brought here, and that's it. That's not an honoring legacy. There's, there's history in that that we should know about, but that's not where you end the conversation. And for me, I personally, I grew up in a very small town um, where everyone was white, and I learned very little beyond Martin Luther King and the fact that African-Americans were slaves. And there is so much more, like Mike even brought up the fact the first American cross-cultural missionary was an African-American. And even this last, I think it was two years ago at a conference, I was learning all about this rich history of African-Americans in mission. And I didn't know that. And I want my son to know that, that different people that look different than him have had huge impacts on society. And I think that's something that we can step into very easily. With that, I just wanted to thank you guys for tuning into this episode of What in the World. It's my privilege to be able to be part of this and to share these stories about what's going on. And I hope this episode helped you understand a little bit more about what's happening um, in America right now and helps you feel a little more equipped or at least asking good questions that you can then start looking into. We are going to be having more conversations along these lines, probably with some of Elmbrook's local partners is my hope. The next podcast, though, will be dealing with India. We're going to go to India. We're going to talk about hospitals in India and the long-standing history that Elmbrook has been able to be part of there. Finally, if you are enjoying this podcast, if it's helping you in any way, please rate it. Please share it with other people that you think they would find it helpful. And thank you so much. And this has been another episode of what in the world.